0: of people on this earth that have no knowledge of. A gospel that is the power, your power, for salvation to all who believe. A gospel that people need to hear. A gospel that our friends, our family members need to hear. The gospel that our children need to hear. The gospel that we need to shout from the rooftops. The go- gospel that we proclaim when we proclaim the excellencies of the One who's called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Lord, that Gospel is our hope today. Lord, I thank You for Your people. Thank You for the reminder today, even as we're singing together, of what it looks like to walk this life together. And we're not meant to do it alone. And You've bound us together in Christ. You've bound us together by Your Spirit. And You have bound us together because we are all saved by that same Gospel. So Lord, now as we open Your Word... Continue to bind our hearts together so that we can proclaim how great you are. Make us more and more into your people and make us more and more into the image of Jesus. And I pray for our children that same thing. As they hear the good news of the gospel and they hear of the fruit that comes from knowing you, Lord, I pray that today their hearts would be transformed by by your spirit, by your power, and by your gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And we're going to dismiss our children to head back to OPBC Kids Worship. If you are a guest or visitor with us and you want to walk your children back to the back to get them settled, then you are welcome to do that. And we get you signed in right there in the back. And they'll have a great time hearing about Jesus, worshiping together, and learning about Christ. All right. I'm going to ask everybody to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter six, as we look at verses six through thirteen, just to catch us up a little bit on where we've been. Before I do that, I'm going to take a, a moment of privilege. They give me a microphone and they put me up on a stage, so I get to take a moment of privilege. Uh, thank you. I, that's what I want to say. I'm thankful for you, as a church, for so many reasons. But I want to give you two right now. One that just happened. I thought I was only going to cry during the video because I cry every time I watch that video and hear the voices, knowing that there are going to be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation around the throne of God. Just that is, That's why I wake up in the morning. Um, that's why I get on these planes and I fly to different places in the world is because God has shown us that vision ahead of time and we get to be a part of that. Um, so I thought that was going to be my wet eye moment. And then you all started singing in Christ alone, and I lost it. Um, You understand that Jesus has taken the wrath of God against our sin. And you sang it because you believed it. And thank you. Thank you for that. Um, And the second thank you is this. Thank you for letting me get on these planes. And go to different places and thank you for allowing me that privilege of going in um, going with you on my heart and going to talk to other pastors about you the church I get a privilege of pastoring thank you for allowing me that privilege of being able to do that Um, I hope I hope you see I think it makes me a better pastor I think it makes me a better pastor because when I go and meet Jose I'm I can remember why I do this. And I, I thank you for that opportunity to go these, to these places and be humbled by what I see and what I experience. So I just wanted you to know how thankful I am for you today. I, You know, most pastors, um, when I meet with them, the first thing they do is complain. And I get to put them to shame every single time. Right? And I get to tell them how great you are. And I'm immensely grateful for you. So I wanted you to know that. Um, so if you would turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6, you also let me yell at you for 30 to 40 minutes every week and I appreciate that. Um, but I wanted today to just catch us up where we are in the story because what we have in the Exodus is a story of God's redemption of his people. And when we read the historical narrative of what's happening in Exodus where God is saving the Israelite people from under bondage in Egypt, what we are also reading is a picture of God's redemptive plan for us, for all people, for all who would believe in the Gospel, all who would believe that God is who He says He is and what He says is true, all who believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, All who believe in Christ, repent of their sins and trust Him. This is the way we're redeemed. So we're not just reading historical narrative. As interesting as that would be, and there's lots of interesting stuff in there. I mean, the plagues are coming up soon. That's going to get real interesting real quick for Egypt, right? There's parting of water. There's manna falling from heaven. There's hitting rocks and water coming out. Right there's all kinds of crazy stuff that happens in the book of Exodus but this is not just historical narrative it is historical narrative but it is also a theological reality that we see that the God who saved the Israelites saves us that he is the same God And so we want to come to the text today to remind ourselves where we are. That in the last couple of weeks we looked at this redemptive plan of how even in the hardship, in the waiting, we can see that God is sovereign and His timing is perfect because that patience that He shows in His timing is actually salvation to us, Peter would tell us. We we can see that as God is working, the, the big enemy is sin and death and the depravity of human hearts that we are so in bondage that we don't even know we're in bondage. We're so in bondage that we keep going back to our slave master to make things better instead of going to the one who can release us and free us. And you can see that in de- various ways in your own heart and in your own life. We, we know that all of this work is of God and that He is the one who must move. It is only by His grace and mercy and His power. He makes promises and He keeps them. And we come today to God explicitly telling Moses and Aaron what to tell the people of Israel. When you go back to the people of Israel, this is what you are to tell them. And it is the gospel, pure and simple. It is full of what God is going to do for his people. And I want you to hear that hope-filled message today, but I want you to see the God who saves. So we're going to look at verses 6 through 13 of chapter 6 today. If you would just follow along in your copy of God's Word. You'll see this. If you remember, Moses has already been to the people one time and said, God's going to deliver you, and they believed him. So he went to Pharaoh and said, "Let my people." God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh goes, well, I don't know who this God is that you're talking about, but why would I obey him? I say, make life harder for the Israelites. And now the Israelites come back to Moses and go, you've made a stink before Pharaoh. Uh, don't do that. Please don't speak for us anymore. We'd appreciate it. Things just get harder when you go before Pharaoh. And things are getting tougher and tougher and Moses comes back to God and says God what's the deal here thought you were going to deliver them instead their workload is harder now and God reminds Moses and Aaron of his faithfulness to his covenant that he sent them to release his people because God made a covenant that he would make them into a great nation and he would give them a land he says I'm going to keep that covenant and he comes back in verse 6 and this is what he says Say, therefore, to the people of Israel. This is a message that is meant to go to the people of Israel. He says this, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke spoke thus to the people of Israel. So he went and told them exactly what God said to tell him. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Like, evidently, I can't get this message across, God. They're not believing me. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. This is God's word for us today to reveal to us God's heart to reveal to us God's action, to reveal to us God's nature. And what we see and what we've seen already in these passages of Scripture is this plain and simple reality. God's salvation plan relies not on the faithfulness of mankind. God's salvation plan relies on the promise and the power of the Lord. God said He was going to do it, and God has the power to do it. If God's salvation plan relies on the faithfulness of mankind, it ain't going to happen. It's just not going to happen. From beginning to end, God's salvation plan relies on God's character, not on our character. And praise the Lord for that. Our sins—they are many. His mercy is more. God is the God who is the God who saves. And look at how He puts this. Here's Moses and Aaron coming back and say, "Hey, God, we went to the people. We went to Pharaoh. Things did not really work out the way we planned." How? I don't know what to do now. And this is what God says. Go back to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord. He closes out in verse 8 with this. I'm going to do all of this stuff. I am the Lord. They will know that I am the Lord your God. He wants people to know that He is the Lord. All of salvation is contingent on Him. This is the starting point, the continuing point, the ending point of the gospel of salvation, of God's redemptive plan. God Himself. We can add all kinds of other stuff into our gospel presentations. We can make them flashy. We can make them simple. We can do all the kinds of things we want to. We proclaim God is the gospel. He's the good news. People don't look at God as good news. They say He's the guy in the sky who's waiting for me to mess up so He can strike me with lightning. I was in Puerto Rico this week. I had the, one of our pastors, Raul, was with us and we were driving in the middle of a big storm and lightning struck right next to the road. I've never seen a man shiver like that. He was in the car up front. I, I'm serious. I think the whole car shook just from him shivering. And he wasn't driving. We stopped for gas five minutes later and he stood there going, Did you see that? How could I miss it, Raul? It was literally right there. Right? I mean... But here's the thing. We, we, we are such shifting sand, ridiculously small, and yet so arrogant. So sure of ourselves. I mean, think about Pharaoh himself. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? The, the fact of the matter is, our gospel is all God. He said good news, but people don't look at God as good news. They think he's the strike them with lightning when they do wrong, God. And what we're here to tell them is no, God is a just God, and he is, a, he is a God of wrath against sin, and he is also a God full of grace and mercy. And you can look at the cross, and you can see all of God's justice towards sin, all of his wrath towards sin being poured out on Jesus, and you can know God. You can look at Jesus and know God. That's what we can tell them. That's good news. God is our good news. He is the gospel. We proclaim His holiness. We proclaim His justice. We proclaim His grace and mercy. We proclaim His salvation because He truly is the good news that we proclaim. And so He says, He reveals Himself here. He goes, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. To know this name of God. This is the name of God that was revealed to Moses at the burning bush. I am He is the Lord, and to reveal that name is to know His purpose in salvation. All of this purpose of salvation is wrapped up in this eternal, unchanging God who rules all things. Names mean something, and God's name means something. When we say, I am the Lord, when we speak on His behalf, the fact that we use His name means something. Names don't necessarily mean a whole lot in our day and age to a lot of people, right? I mean... My name is Brad, and I don't own a yacht. Right? I don't have a sweater that I put around my neck. My name is Brad. Somebody messed up somewhere. Like, my name was supposed to be Herman. Hey, that was my dad's name. Watch it. And my granddad's name. And my dad said, "Uh uh-uh, don't do that to that kid. My mom wanted to name me Herman, and my dad wouldn't let it happen. If I was going to be a girl, Anastasia Lynn. Stacy Lynn for short okay I mean, think about that <laughs> Where does it come from? I'm no Stacy Lynn I don't know that I'm a brad. What does it mean when I was a kid when we, and we lived in Malawi Africa names meant something you would wait a couple of weeks maybe even a couple of months to name your children because you wanted to see their personality. all through the Old Testament names have meant something Esau red Jacob. Striver because he's pulling past his trying to usurp his brother, holding on. Right? Names meant something. Abraham. Right? He's the father with this laughter of many nations. Just Isaac, laughter, son of laughter, beautiful, right? All these names mean something. We had two little girls I remember in one of the churches we serve. One was she was so joyful and beautiful and yet troubled. Guess what her name was? Mafuma. Guess what that means? Trouble. Rest of her life. Another girl was named Chimwenwe. Smiling on her face all the time. Guess what her name meant? Joy. Names mean something. And when God says, I am the Lord, He wants us to know, wrapped up in His name, is this entire redemptive purpose. If we're going to proclaim salvation to the world, we must proclaim God of the world. We have to proclaim the Lord. He says, I am the Lord. If we're going to proclaim salvation to everyone around us, we're not talking about just ourselves or our experience. We're talking about God. We want them to know God. Nothing less. We must proclaim the Lord. We, We proclaim that He's the answer to all of our problems. All our answers are found in the Lord. You know how many people come into my office and tell me their problems? And when they tell me their problems, let me think my first question is most of the time Have you talked to the one who can actually fix this? You know how often people say, Well, that's, have you prayed about this? Have you gone to the Lord? He's the Lord! I'm Brad with no yacht! Go to the Lord! Go to the Lord. He's the one who can fix all our... He says, go to the people. I am the Lord. Tell them that. He is secure when every other helper is shifting sand. God wants people to know that only He can save them. He wants Moses and Aaron to go back to the people. When they're going, how can this happen? Tell them, I am the Lord. I am the only one who can save them. God wants people to know that only He can save today. So I ask you, have you placed all your trust in the Lord? Have you placed all of your trust in Him? Whatever your experiences are, whatever your circumstances, whatever your trouble, whatever your lot, as the hymn writer would say, have you placed your trust in Him? Whatever you need today, hear Him saying this, I am the Lord. That's good news. That's the good news you came to believe if you're a believer. Say, he's good news, and he's for you, not against you. I am the Lord. He said, say it to the people of Israel. He didn't say, say this to Pharaoh. He said, say it to the people of Israel. He's for them. He came to redeem them. He came to save them. He came to free them. He's for them. They're going, how can we be freed? He's saying, I am the Lord. What he's promising here is that he will actively and completely save his people. He's the only one who can do it, and he will actively and completely save his people. God is a God of promises, and the biggest promise he makes is that he doesn't just save, he saves completely. That's really good news, and so he's going to tell us how he does that in verses 6 through 8. God promises to actively and completely save. Look at what he says. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. In fact, there are seven I wills that he's going to go through here. I encourage you to underline them in your Bibles I am the Lord. He starts and he ends with, I am the Lord. And he says, I will. Seven times. Really, there's four promises lumped into these seven I wills. And I want you to see these promises today because what he promises to the Israelite people is what he gives to us freely in Christ in salvation. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what salvation looks like from beginning to end. At its most basic, the first thing we see is God's salvation provides deliverance. What's the first thing he says? I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. The first thing God promises in salvation is deliverance. This is at its most basic what salvation is. That we are slaves to sin and death, and we need to be set free. That's, That's our need. The problem is most people don't realize they're slaves. Most people don't realize they're dead in their trespasses and sins. Most people don't know that they need to be saved from their sins. That's the problem. You, know, you you think about going back and thinking through chapter five and all of these people and they're out there working. We're like, oh, how hard was it for those slaves as they're working? Yeah, you know there were foremen who were Israelites as well who were telling everybody else what to do. Hey. Guaranteed didn't realize how enslaved they were. Because they weren't making bricks. So you may think today your life is a little easier than other people. So you're not a slave to sin and death. Well, things have gone pretty well for me. I'm doing okay. You may not need know your need, but here's what God is promising: I will bring you out, and I will deliver. You have a basic need, and that is your. Enslaved to sin and death and you need to be set free. So he promises deliverance from bondage. The Israelites needed to be delivered from slavery. And here's the good news. Because God can and will, this is also a promise to those of us who would trust Christ. That God in Christ delivers us from bondage to sin. Matthew 1.21 tells us the very name of Jesus talks about Him setting us free. He, Him saving us. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is all about salvation. Jesus himself delivers people from their sins. Galatians 1.4 He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God, our God and Father. John 8.36 So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And oh, we need to be set free. This is the hope of the gospel. Redemption deliverance. He's going to bring us out. And and how does he do that? He does that by paying a price. In the Israelites' sense, the Egyptians are going to have to pay that price. He said that in chapter 4. He said, you have my son, I'm going to take your son. There's going to be a price to be paid. And that price is what we call redemption. God's salvation provides redemption. Look at what he tells them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Redemption in the Bible is a financial term tied to slavery. The idea is this. If someone was enslaved, so let's say you owed somebody a lot of money and you had to indenture yourself to them as a slave, your family could come and purchase you out of that enslavement. In fact, it was was worked into the Israelite law, to the Jewish law, that there was redemption that could happen. You redeemed somebody out of slavery. Another thing that might happen is if you were at war with so two nations were at war, you were taken as a prisoner of war, your family, the government wouldn't do it, your family could come over to the other nation, pay a ransom, redeem you from slavery, and bring you back to your nation. This is what we read in Scripture that he He redeemed us out of darkness and brought us into light. That he took us from the kingdom and brought us into a new kingdom. This is what God is doing. He redeems. This financial term is a release of a slave by the payment of a ransom. And God would provide redemption for his people. How would he do it? Look at how he says he will do it. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Here's what God's going to do. He's going to show up and flex. That's what he's doing. He's showing up and he's flexing his muscle. He's going to show how strong he is. Pharaoh, you're sitting on the throne. You think you're in charge? You think you have a claim to my people? My outstretched arm will take care of you. My great acts of judgment will take care of you. He will stretch his arm out to demonstrate his power over evil, sin, and death, and he will redeem his people in that way. His great acts of judgment will defeat the enemy and pay the price necessary to redeem his people. So let me make sure you understand what's happening here. The Israelites were in slavery, and God says, I'm going to deliver you. You're going to get out of Egypt, right? You're going to get through the Red Sea. You're going to get into the wilderness. Here's the picture we get. But you're not just getting freed from Egypt. Egypt isn't going to be able to enslave you again. Remember what happens at the Red Sea? It's not just that it parts to let the people through. It swallows up the Egyptians too. The price is paid. You no longer belong to Pharaoh. He no longer has a claim on you because you've been delivered and you've been redeemed. We're bought with a price, Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So, In the Gospel, what we believe, what we teach, what we proclaim as we proclaim the Lord is that through the judgment poured out on Jesus, through all of God's wrath towards sin poured out on Jesus at the cross, and through the power of the resurrection, through these outstretched arms, and through this work of mighty judgment from God, we find ultimate and complete redemption and salvation. We're bought with a price. This is why Jesus on the cross, before He took His last breath, He said these words. It is finished. Financial terms. The balance is paid. Redemption has been bought. I want you to hear the good news of this. This is the gospel. The gospel is not that God makes salvation possible, it's that God completely saves. Oh, my word, that's good news not just that God looks at us and goes, all right, I want to give you a way. He says, I am the way. He doesn't say, hey, I want to make sure you have a good life and maybe we can make salvation possible for you. No, he says, it is finished. The price is paid. That's the good news of the gospel because he is the Lord. Colossians 1 tells us he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God's salvation provides deliverance, God's salvation provides redemption and God's salvation provides adoption. That's the next part. This redemption in the Bible is the usually the work of a close relative, a family member. We will see this later in scripture as we work through called a kinsman redeemer, someone who can take this person out of their slavery and bring them back to redemption, bring them back to deliverance. And God relates as this redeemer because of his love and his covenant for his people. So in chapter four, he says, they're my firstborn son. He, he comes close as a family member. And he even all the way back to Genesis chapter 17 tells us, of this great reality that he's establishing a covenant between himself and the offspring of Abraham. That he's going to do this from generation to generation. He's a father to the fatherless. He's the one who brings us close. So this idea where he says, I will take you as my own. I will bring you close to me. I will take you to be my people, it says in verse 7. And I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This familial relationship, this intimate relationship, shows us that God adopts people. So here's the good news. He doesn't just deliver you from slavery, pay a price so you can't go back to your slave master. He also says, okay, you don't just come into my kingdom as slaves, you come into my kingdom as sons and daughters. This is the salvation he offers. This is a salvation he works from beginning to end. God does not just redeem us from slavery, but adopts us as sons and daughters. Oh, what good news to tell people. You were alienated. Now He's made you His children. God does not just save us from sin. He also saves us to be His sons and daughters. You are no longer slaves to sin and death. You are sons and daughters of God. He's established a covenant and He will keep it he says there in verse 7, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. Oh, what good news of the possession we are of God as his children. This, As Philip Graham Ryken says, this relationship with his people is one of intimate, mutual affection. And with this glorious promise, how glorious is it? Well, we are saved not just from slavery, but now we're included in by the promise of Jesus Christ into the family of God for eternal uh, eternity. This is an eternal promise and it's been His eternal purpose. Ephesians 1 says He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. This has been His purpose is to adopt for Himself sons and daughters out of slavery to sin and death into His family. This adoption is secured by God. We're given the right to be called the children of God. John one twelve says to all who did receive Him Who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. We used to call Him Father, where Jesus Himself taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. That was a new concept about God. Our Father. We're brought in as His children adopted. This adoption secures us in His kingdom and secures an inheritance for us. God is working salvation from beginning to end. He's delivering. He's redeeming. He's adopting so that He can give us all the promised inheritance that He has promised. Galatians 4 tells us to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. And Ephesians 1 tells us that's like the down payment of the inheritance that's coming is we have the Spirit living within us now so that we cry out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave. But a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. What good news is that he doesn't just say you get to come in and be adopted. He says you get to join in the inheritance that Jesus has earned by his shed blood. That is, Jesus is rightfully, because he's the firstborn. He's the son of God. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And we get, to, we get part of that salvation. We get part of that inheritance. And so that's the last thing we see in the text. God's salvation provides an inheritance. We have adoption and we have inheritance. Because we have a God who saves completely and redeems us from slavery and adopts us as sons and daughters, we get part of this inheritance. Verse 8, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. It's not just that they're being brought out of Egypt. They're being brought into Canaan. We're not just saved out of sin and death. We get heaven. It's not just that we get, we get brought into the family. We get to be with Him forever. No separation. This is the security we have. God promised to not just deliver His people from slavery, but to deliver them into an inheritance. 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance That is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That sounds really good. Like, are you seeing the good news? Like, on every single page, good news after good news after good news, all wrapped up in, I am the Lord. We're telling people who God is. And it's just good news after good news. My parents left me an inheritance. One day it will go away. It will be spent or given to my kids and to their kids. It will be passed down, but it won't be mine. It will be gone. It won't last forever. We have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. We get this inheritance and we're told that God is keeping it for us by His power. The same power that says, "I am the Lord," the same power that says, "I claim you," the same power that saves us, the same power that declares us his sons and daughters, is the same power that is keeping our inheritance for us. That's what God gives us in the gospel. How can this not be good news? The point is clear: salvation from beginning to end, deliverance, redemption, adoption and inheritance starts with. I am the Lord. It's all of God. It's not of us. How arrogant would it be of us to say, I did this, I did this, when seven times God promises I will? And the only thing He says about us is, then you will know that I am the Lord your God. All of it is God's work. Every last bit of it. And that's the good news. Because I would mess it up from beginning to end. No way I keep that inheritance. I'd spend it. I'd waste it. No way I wouldn't run back. I mean, think about the Israelites. As soon as they got to the Red Sea, God has delivered them. He's about to redeem them. He's gonna make them pay, right? This is gonna, we're gonna make the Egyptians pay. They get there and they're like, send us back. Can we go back to slavery? I would do that! You would do that if it weren't for God. Intervening, And he intervenes and he opens up the Red Sea And they go through And then he swallows up the Egyptians they get to the other side and we're hungry Send us back Do you bring us out here to die? What's wrong with you? It would be better back in Egypt being slaves But what does he do? He provides And what does he provide? He provides things that remind them I've given you an inheritance You have a land that you're going towards So they get to the land It's beautiful, it's awesome The grapes are like the size of my head And it's amazing, right? And they go, the people are too big send us back. Do you understand that if God doesn't intervene, people will stay in their sin and death. They will return to their slavery if God does not intervene at every step of the way. But His purpose is that we would know that He is the Lord our God. So do you know Him? Do you know that He is the Lord? Do you you put yourself in a position of utter dependence on Him because He is the Lord? So when we declare the good news that salvation is from the Lord, from beginning to end, that He saves, it is good news. So how come people don't listen to it? I mean, look back at the text. Moses and Aaron go to the Israelites and they say exactly that. I mean, can you imagine they hear this good news? I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. So you'll know that I am the Lord your God. I will, I will, I will they go back and say, this is what God says. He is the Lord and He will, He will, He will, He will. And the people, it says, did not listen to Moses, verse 9. They didn't listen! Why? Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Philip Rikens says this, the problem with people is that they are enslaved to slavery. They're enslaved to the slavery. It says that they were broken-spirited, that they were so broken down that they didn't realize that they needed God to save them. It, they couldn't see the good news. They were just worried about surviving another day. They weren't worried about being set free. Why? Because they're so broken-hearted. because people are so dead on the inside spiritually that unless God intervenes, people are going to stay dead. Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins made us alive together with Christ. Without the intervening grace of God, people will remain dead in their trespasses. People will remain enslaved. God must break the chains of sin and death, and He does that by His Spirit. John 5 tells us that. That one day, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment and passed from death to life. Truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. God, by His Spirit, awakens people out of death and brings them into life. This is the good news of the Gospel. God will. That's the good news of the Gospel. The good news of the Gospel is not you can and you can't. The good news of the Gospel is God will. That's what we tell people. That's what we believe. That's what we bank on. That's what we need. And so if you're a believer, you need to hear this. You're free. You're free. Egypt has no hold on you anymore. Sin and death have no dominion over you anymore. They have no claim on you anymore. You have been delivered. You've been redeemed. You've been adopted. And you have an inheritance that no one can take from you. Because He is So we go to the world and they don't listen, so what do we do? We give up. Right? You say it's too hard. Don't want to do it. Moses and Aaron were then commanded by God to go back to Pharaoh. Go back to Pharaoh. And Moses' reaction is fantastic. After God says, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go, verse ten. Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I love that. Behold, behold, God. If you didn't notice, I just tried that with the Israelites and they didn't listen, what would make you think that Pharaoh's going to listen to me? How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. I don't have the skill necessary to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. Do you ever feel that way about sharing the gospel? I don't have the skill necessary. I don't, I'm don't. i not persuasive enough. I don't have all the arguments right. I don't know what to say if they say this. It's so funny. The The things that we're afraid people might ask us that keep us from talking. What if they ask this? Well, I better not start because they might ask that. The point is clear. Salvation from beginning to end is of the Lord. God is the gospel. And He's given us the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. Start talking about who God is and what He has done. Because you're free from all of that. You're free now to proclaim how excellent He is. So Moses and Aaron were commanded to go back. And what were they there to say? Salvation is from the Lord because He is the Lord. Look at what they're commanded to say. They're commanded to say, I am the Lord. They're supposed to be proclaiming salvation is of the Lord. They're not supposed to be saying, I've got a really good argument that I think will argue into the kingdom. I think I can convince you to be a Christian. I think I can convince you to follow God. They're not supposed to do that. That would be circumcised lips in their mind. No, they're of uncircumcised lips. It's the same as the Apostle Paul. It's the same as Peter. It's the same. Sometimes all we have is the gospel. In fact, all we have is the gospel. Every pastor I met on Puerto Rico this past week, when I asked him how I could pray for them, hey, you know what? We need we need gospel tracts because we just want to go share the gospel with people. One guy said this, and then the next guy said this, and the next guy said this. We don't know what to do half the time. All we do is preach the gospel. And I went, you think I know what I'm going to do this Sunday? Because the gospel is the power of God. Not my power. Not your power. It's the power of God. Unto salvation. Because salvation is from the Lord alone, we are simply commanded to obey God's call to go and speak. That's what God said. Go in. Go in. Verse 10, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. And then after the excuses, God comes back and says, he gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Let me repeat myself, God says. Go tell him to let them go. That's what you're going to do. You're not supposed to actually be the one to let them go. I'm going to do that. You go tell him to let them go. He's not going to do it. I'm going to do it. So we speak into the darkness with the gospel, not expecting us to be able to break through the darkness with light. We expect God to do that. Because He's the one with power. He's the one who is the Lord. So do you feel like you just want to give up? Remember, He is the Lord. Do you feel like no one will ever believe if you share the gospel with them? Remember, He is the Lord. Do you feel like things only get tougher when you do the right thing? Remember, He is the Lord. And if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. And we are given this charge. Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. And he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. And we make the appeal. God makes his appeal through us. So we go up to people and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He is the Lord. That's what we're offering people. Nothing more, nothing less. So I want you to see as the last point, believer. If you're here today and you you're struggling, you're struggling to share the gospel with that one that you had, or that ten, you're struggling with sharing the gospel with them. I want you to hear this: God saves. God saves. Kanye got saved. He could save your best friend. God saves. Some of you just said, who's this Kanye guy? He just mentioned... It. Well, look it up. But don't listen to anything before this week. Okay? Don't listen to any of, you, any of his music before what came out this week. Okay? God works miracles. He saves people. He did it for you. Why couldn't He do it for your loved ones? And if you're here today and you say, I, I don't know who this Lord is, but He sounds pretty powerful pretty scared of him, I want you to know you should be. He's worthy to be feared. But he doesn't need you to be. He invites you in to be his sons and daughters. He's fearful, but he is good. He is good. But if you're here today and you're a believer and you say, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I don't know if I can keep telling people. It just doesn't work. I want you to hear this. Okay? Look at what God says to Moses and Aaron. God said, let me tell you this again. Go in and tell them. Go in and tell Pharaoh. It's not your job to make him listen. It's your job to go tell him. God is not interested in our excuses. What he wants is obedience and faith. God isn't interested in our excuses. Man, we can come up with a lot of them, can't we? But he commands us to go. This is good news. Why would we not want people to know it? Let's go tell someone how great God is. He is the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today we would know just how great you are. And we would proclaim your excellencies to everyone we meet. Why? Because you are the Lord. You deserve it. And you have saved us. You have delivered us. You've redeemed us. You've adopted us. And you have promised us an inheritance. And you are securing that by the same right arm that saved us, that delivered us and redeemed us. The same love, the same spirit that now brings us into adoption. You have secured our inheritance that way. Help us to proclaim that good news, that in Christ we find salvation. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing as we go today. Let's sing together. There is only one hope for us. All other ground is sinking sand. Do you trust Him and trust Him completely? Our solid rock. My hope is built on nothing less. This seems to hide his face. We'll you back tonight 5 o'clock for missions planning team as we want to take this good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth but also want to encourage you to come back tonight for bible study and for just a time of fellowship 6 o'clock for fellowship Six thirty for bible study come back and join us tonight so okay uh, and before we leave we're going to pray uh for al right now so he's been moved out of his room back into icu so we're going to go check on him and see what's going on okay so let's pray and then we'll read our benediction as we go father i pray for al Lord, we love him, um, but we know you love him even more. And so I pray right now that you would move in power, the power that we've been talking about, the power that changes people's lives, but also the power that holds us together. And I pray that you would move in his body right now to give him everything that he needs to endure and to persevere right now. And Lord, we pray that you would give him peace, give give him everything necessary to trust you in the middle of this. And Lord, we're, we're looking for you to work Empower so that we can proclaim how great you are. When you do it, we pray these things in Christ's name, Amen. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy.